Welcome back. In the podcast, before we started with the interview with Ted Rubin, I just wanted to give a little insight on what Ted has been about and what Ted especially talked about in the podcast. Uh, Ted has been in the marketing and entrepreneurial space for lots and lots of years. He has met several people that are, of course, known in our podcast and in the community. Gary V has been there. Um, has been has had several touch points in the marketing industry as a CMO, but also as a part of the advisory board of different startups. So he also knows the barriers and the the challenges that startups have in in the marketing world and how they actually can present their startup. So we talk about how Ted Ted has actually gone through his whole idea of developing the marketing industry and how he shaped the industry, but also go really specific on what he would recommend as an expert on how marketings can actually uh, how startups can actually market their product or their services and we talk a lot about how personal brands can actually help to boost a startup at the beginning because sometimes startups face the the challenge i believe and on how they should market the products whether they should really focus on the company brand or on the personal brand or if they can actually combine it and ted and i really go into depth here and uh, see how how personal branding can, can also help to support the company brand that's one big part uh, another thing that i wanted to say before we jump into the podcast is i'm sorry for the for the quality we had had some problems uh, especially also from my side i think it's not as good as the other episodes but i think the content and um, the stuff we talk about will definitely be worth it so definitely jump into the podcast i'm I would love to get your feedback. It's also going to be available on Anchor. Um, so you can also comment on it and give your feedback on it pretty easily. Um, if you like that, please do. So Ted and I get informed. And also, if you want to share it on other channels, we would love to see that as well. Besides that, for all the English listeners, I also have an English-only Feed Your Brain podcast. So you can follow along on all the English episodes that I've recorded over the last three years. And it's much easier to find the episodes that you are interested in because of the language um, instead of jumping through the German episodes. So I will also link that in the German podcast here or the mixed podcast, link the English only one so you can find it. And for all the other English only podcast listeners, welcome. And I hope you enjoy the English featured interviews. Definitely enjoy the podcast. Looking forward and uh, see you then. podcast my name is Max Elster and I try to really go into depth into different technology topics and leaders that are in the space and today we have a fantastic guest on board which is Ted Rubin um, who's a long-time well-known person in the marketing space and not just in the marketing space but also someone that's very inspiring to lots of entrepreneurs around the globe um, he has actually written a book about the return on relationships in the digital age, which of, is, of course, a topic that a lot of people care about. How can you build relationships on the basis of everything happening in digital? He's also, he's also been quite famous on Twitter because he, he reached lots and lots of people um, in, in the Twitter space, but also in general in the social media space. So he's a well-known person within the last years uh, and, and uh, is very, very famous for 
for his marketing activities. He's also worked with Seth Godin, who's quite famous in the community and um, and just has a lot of lot of stuff to tell. And we would love to go deeper into his views on, on life and his views on everything related to marketing. And then we can also talk a little bit about how can you build relationships in everything in, in, a, in an age where everything happens digitally. So I'm very happy, Ted, that you are on the show. Uh, welcome to the Feed Your Brain podcast. Well, thank you, Max. I'm excited to be here. And, you know, I have to tell you that a lot of people reach out to me, um, as do they do to a lot of different people trying to get them on their shows. But I really appreciated your approach. I appreciated the way you reached out to me, the way you knew about me. Um, when at first um, I pushed back a little bit on some of the things you were asking me about, um, you came right back, you maintained a relationship, and you educated yourself. Instead of just reaching out to a, you know, a, a pile of people hoping somebody would respond, you knew who you were talking to, and you had the right information. And because of that, you know, I'm happy to be here talking to you. That's lovely. I mean, like I totally agree. That's the reason why I started the podcast because I believe that communities are built based on relationships and. I'm not the kind of person that reaches out to hundreds of people and like there's some sort of conversion rate um, linked to the podcast. So I'm, I'm, I was quite aroused and happy by the stuff that you have done. And I'm, I'm sure this could be a big inspiration to a lot of people in the community, which is definitely the reason why, why I reached out um, and why I thought it might be a great fit to have you on the show besides the people that have been here as well. And I would, I would love to go deeper, especially for the people who don't know you actually, who haven't done a bit of research you can give a little like insight on what your pathway has been last 10, 15 years and what has inspired you so far? Well, I'm glad you said only the last 10, 15 years because um, I'm 61 years old. And when people ask me about my whole background, it could be like a three-hour show. Um, you know, <laughs> that I've, I've, reinvented my, I've reinvented myself a number of times over. But just to kind of fast forward into the digital space in 1997, I was looking for a new opportunity, and I discovered Seth Godin. He was not he was not well known then. He had been a one to kind brand manager at Atari. A lot of people don't know that, um, mm -hmm. and helped build that brand. And he he had not written any of his marketing bestsellers yet. There was an interview right. being done by a magazine, and I was really intrigued by what he was talking about. How he had started this company called YoYo Nine. He called it the first online direct marketing company, and he had just really cool ideas about how to properly connect with people and how marketing was changing. Um, at the end of the interview, they asked him that they said, the interviewer said, wow, this sounds like a really cool company. Do you have any job openings? And he said, well, I don't have any specific openings, but I'll, I always will hire a smart person because that's the way I'm building my company. And I desperately need people that can sell anything because no one's ever sold this before. And, you know, I, my hand went up. I immediately wrote him a letter. Yes, it was a letter that I typed back when we had typewriters. Uh, I did have my oh, first computer, possible. but I didn't have a, I didn't have a, I didn't have a printer yet, and, and I had my resume, and I sent it to him, and I said, uh, number one is I'm smart, and number two is I can sell anything. And I was fortunate <laughs> that I got his, I got his attention, um, and I went up and met him. I went up to work for him. I won't go into all the details, but I got involved in digital in the early, early days when e-commerce was nothing more than a catalog online, and you know, uh, online media was just magazines reprinted kind of, not really sometimes, nothing more than photographs or images of the pages online. So I watched this whole thing develop. And uh, just to give a quick rundown, I worked at Yo-Yo Dine. The company grew. Seth came to everybody's attention when he wrote a, when he wrote an article in Fast Company called Permission Marketing, which then became mm -hmm. his best 
his first his first bestseller and the basis for almost everything we do with email marketing about getting permission about unsubscribing all the thing all these things with things Seth came up with and I was fortunate enough to be sitting across the table from him because I had made a critical error of deciding to move to New York leave my family in Florida uh, so my ex could so we could sell the house and my kids could finish preschool um, and made a mistake of living with in-laws for a little while. Don't ever ever live with your in-laws, Max. You're a young guy. Don't ever make that mistake <laughs> if you get married, um, especially if they wake up every morning screaming at each other. But the good news is everything happens for a reason, and because of that screaming at each other, I made sure to get out of the house before anybody woke up at five thirty six o'clock in the morning. I got to the yo-yo dining offices at six thirty. Seth was an early riser, and I got to sit there, just him and me, and listen to the brilliance that he was coming up with. And, you know, he wanted someone to listen, and I was smart enough to shut up and listen, and I learned a lot. And that was kind of – permission marketing was the beginning of my thinking about return on relationship. I'd always been a relationship guy, but I thought of it more as networking. And what I've come to understand mm-hmm. is that a network gives you reach, but a community gives you power. And I am way more of a community builder. I, I am a networker. But I take networking and I turn it into communities. And I, right. I was at Yo-Yo Nine. Uh, we got acquired by Yahoo, so I worked for them for a while. I went to 800 Flowers. Where it was nice to have a name that opened doors after being at a startup. From there, I went into building a, to a company called Bottle Rocket that built games to help make websites what they called back in the day sticky, meaning that people would stay there for a length of time and hopes they would do something else other than play the game. From there, from there, just to fast forward, I ended up with a few interim things in between with a company called um, um, eyeslipspace.com. And mm-hmm. uh, Elf Cosmetics was a startup cosmetics company that had the idea to sell very inexpensive cosmetics, but to do everything they could to make it quality rather than the junk that was being sold at that level. Um, it was started by father's son, they had built a company with no marketing budget, just word of mouth about this you know, miraculous product that was inexpensive. They were kind of running out of steam when they hit $5 million in sales. Fortunately, a friend who knew me from the industry introduced me and said, what you guys need is a guy that's a marketer, but that comes from a sales background. Because uh-huh. bottom line is you need to be selling every day. And I joined them, and much to their dismay, in the very short term, I decided that the way to build this company, remember this was 2008, was social media. I had discovered right. Facebook, Twitter, um, and especially Twitter I had come upon, and I said, oh, my God, like this is a way to really do what Seth had always talked about, but to do it at scale and have direct conversations. I mean, to be honest, email um, is, is social media. It's just not at the scale of what these platforms provided. And I jumped into these platforms with both feet. At Elf, they had had a Facebook page, and at that time, a MySpace page. Uh, I shut everything down (laughs) until I could get a better grasp on what I thought we needed to do. And then I realized that I had access to all these women that loved cosmetics and wanted to share (laughs) it. And now all of a sudden they had the tools to do it. So I built the first aggregated content site where when anybody anywhere on any social media site mentioned our name, it got sucked into a site that then showed their content. And, you know, this took some guts. The only reason I was able to do this is I was at a small company, family owned with no legal departments. And basically they said, if it doesn't cost us any money, go do it. Whereas the Sephora's of the world, the Estee Lauder's of the world at the time, you know, weren't able to do that because their legal departments wouldn't let them. 
And, and I was very fortunate. I met guys like Jeffrey Hazlett, who at the time was a pioneering CMO at, at Kodak, and Barry Judge, who was also pioneering in the social space, a CMO of Best Buy. Um, I got to brainstorm with them, and when it came time to try things, there was no argument about who got to try it. They both had legal departments. I didn't. They said, go try it. And I just got some very early experience understanding how these tools worked, how they spread a message, how you could now really talk to your customers, which nobody was doing. And by the way, most people don't even today. They have all this information and all this stuff available to them. And all they do is advertise on, the, on these platforms. So few of them, and there are some, don't get me wrong, but so few mm-hmm. of them are really willing to actually listen and communicate and have conversations with their clients because they, with their customers because they think it doesn't scale. And instead of understanding that the insights that's, it gives them and the, and the touch points it gives sense. them is, it, is remarkable. And then, I, and then shortly after that, I just, I just, I, at Elf, I discovered content marketing. I met my business partner who became my business partner, John Andrews, who was at Walmart at the time, building something called 11 Moms, which became Walmart Moms, which was a community of bloggers that created content about retail and about products. We built a company called Collective Bias, which fortunately was acquired in 2016. Um, uh, for seven figures, uh, we were small equity partners, so don't get too excited. You, you, I, I don't have that kind of money, but I did. <laughs> I, I did have some substantial success there, thanks to John's brilliance and thought leadership, and my ability to build relationships around these things. Lovely. I mean, that's a. It's a fantastic story of lots of like different inputs that you have gone through over over the years. I mean, starting from working with Seth and really getting his feedback and his input on everything that he was thinking about building the company and then switching on to the whole part of, of social media and actually engaging with it on a different level and being one of the first ones who actually uses social media to reach the, the, the perfect audience and then actually coming to the next stage with being a partner of startups and being partner of your own companies in a, in a different way. And I, I would love to go back and jump back a little bit to, the, to your first days at Seth table where you guys actually thought about okay how can we how can we scale a company in a way where online was not really a thing and I would love to understand because you work quite closely with Seth but you also needed to actually develop your own thoughts around what he was thinking and to use it for for your own perspective how how did Seth and you guys think back then in the early days especially because he's such an outside perspective but you were quite close to him actually developing the strategies that were needed. What was different working together with him maybe than with other people? Was it his, was he well read or what was the difference that you realized that you can still apply today in your daily environments? Well, I'm going to tell you the most important thing is understanding when you're a junior player and you're with someone who is going to be a legend. And, and recognizing that and, and, and being able to listen and learn from them. And even when you have someone, and by the way, Seth's a great guy to work for, but you know, he was, it was his company. I was just some guy that had never even been in advertising or marketing who came there. And the opportunity he gave me was to take his thought and like you said, able to use it for myself. So I didn't necessarily have a lot of input directly with Seth when he was thinking and coming up with his ideas, what I got to do was take his ideas 
and, and make them fit into my world and make them fit right. into what I do. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a relationship sales guy. I always have been. When I got out of college, I went to the investment industry. I worked at a company, and you had to make X amount of phone calls. And my boss was always on me because everybody else in the room were making 300 phone calls a day, and I was making 100 because, because I was talking to people. Like most of them was a numbers game. Get the guy on the phone, go through your pitch, finish the call immediately, put down his name as a potential prospect, move on. Get back to him when you had something to sell him. But I knew that if I built a relationship with these people, or at least I felt, and a lot of this I learned from my dad, that I'd have a much better chance. So I ended up becoming one of the top producers in the office, making one-third of the amount of calls the rest of them were making. And I still have a relationship with some of those people today. We're talking about right. 1980. 1980. I met those people, and I still have a relationship with some of them today because I, 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 would, I would get invited to their families, bar mitzvahs, and weddings. And I remember my boss saying, why are you wasting your time doing that? You could be making more phone calls. I'm like, well, because then this guy's going to think of me like a friend or like family. And you look, I grew up with a dad that always taught me to do for others, and he did it mostly by example. He didn't lecture me a lot, but he was the guy that if we were driving down the street and there was a garbage pail in the middle of the road, he'd pull over and pick it up. He didn't pull over if the garbage pail was just tipped over on somebody's driveway, and he'd straighten it out. As soon as I was old enough, he made me get out of the car and do it. And he was right. the guy that, like, when, when it snowed as kids, we could make money by shoveling the snow from people's driveways and walkways. But before I was allowed to go out and knock on people's doors who I didn't know, I had to shovel the walks of my neighbors for free because they were my neighbors. <laughs> and, right. and, my, and my dad talked just, you know, and he always said when I'd say something to him, he said, you know, he takes the object. He said, well, it's just being nice, but it's also, it's going to come back to you. You're going to build a reputation, and what I say now to people is that a brand is what a business or a person does, but a reputation is what people remember and share. And he always said to me, your reputation will follow you always. People will come to your defense. People will support you. People will do for you when they know you as a person that does for others without expecting anything back. And sure, it, you know, if your neighbor hands you a couple of dollars and you say no three times and they stuff it into your hand, that's fine. But you want to make it clear that that's not why you did it when it came to something. And the same thing when you're, you don't knock on someone's door and say, by the way, I just put your garbage pail back in your driveway. You don't have to get credit for, them, for it from them. Just do it. I mean, and I, you know, to this day, I'm driving down a busy road where I live in Florida, and there'll be a chair that someone left on the side of the road, and it, it ended up in the middle of the street, and cars are all going around, but I'm the guy that pulls over, puts on my flashes, picks it up, and brings it to the side. And, I, and people clap for you. They, they say, they honk and give you like a, a thumbs up. <clears throat> they don't have to know you, but this kind of, <clears throat> excuse me. These kinds of things are, are how you build your reputation. I learned that from my dad. So back to Seth real quick, was I was fortunate enough to, to realize that I was, in, I was in the presence of brilliance. And what I would do is instead of trying to jump in all the time with my ideas, and I'm saying this for a reason because I want young people to get this because sometimes they feel a little put off, they have an idea, they don't get to share it. You know, right. And I agree, brainstorming needs a lot of work and a lot more people have to have a say. But when you're with that guy, you know, the Seth Godin's, the Steve Jobs, or any other leader that's building a company, you know, uh -huh. and understand that he's got a vision. And, you know, he won't always want to hear your opinion, but you always have the opportunity and the ability to take what you've heard from him and then mold it around what you're best at and the things you believe in.
So I did the Love same it. thing at, at, Yo- at Yo-Yo Dine. I built relationships. And I was fortunate. I was working for someone that appreciated it. As a matter of fact, Seth, when we used to go out on calls to try to tell people what we were selling. And remember, our product, I sold the first click-throughs ever sold when no one knew what a click-through was. Everybody was buying uh-huh. CPM. It had, been, it had come from the traditional magazine and newspaper industry. And when we would say to somebody, you're just paying for a click-through, they would look at you and say, what are you talking about? Well, you're only paying if someone lands on the page that you direct them to. Well, what, uh-huh. and, and they kept asking, well, what's a CPM? And I'm like, well, there's an effective CPM. You can see what you're paying for click-throughs and then back it into how many it takes in order to get what you're, what you're doing. But we had to go in front of these people. And when we would come back, and then we would also sell them. Seth was probably one of the first guys to to sell and build storytelling type of capabilities for brands. If we came back and said that, you know, oh, we pitched them an order, or he would get upset. He's like, why did you try to sell them something so soon? You don't even Uh understand their business yet. And he encouraged that relationship building. Yeah, and I mean, Seth is a a fantastic example of building relationships over decades, right? I mean, the the audience that he has has gained actually has been there for – for not just a couple of years, but actually they have been there since like his early days of becoming famous more or less in the space, at least in entrepreneurship. And it's something where he really was clear about how can I build relationships over years. And it was not about publishing a podcast a day. It was more about building relationships over a 10-year, 20-, 30-year vision. And I think that's something that a lot of people lack because I see that a lot of people go into social believing that they can gain up to like a million followers within a day, but it's not really based on building relationships. And I would love to go deeper here because that's something that you're quite that will stand for. The social world, how do you see, how can relationships still be built when startups and companies think about the early social media strategies that they need to apply in order to reach the audience that they need to reach. How can you connect relationship building and social media strategizing and really combine it with the most powerful um, assets that a company can have to build a brand? What's, what's the strategy or a thought that you have for all the people that really want to go deeper into what you just said? Their employees. That's how. That's what so many people overlook. If, if especially for a, you're a new company, you don't have a lot of money. You're just starting. You need to leverage the personal brands of the people that work for the company, including yourself and including your partners. And I see so many people that they may have built a personal brand, or they, let's get away from that word because it's get, it's getting a little old. But they might have built a social presence. They might have built relationships. And then all of a sudden, they're holding back because they're not ready to, to, to launch the marketing campaign for their new company. And so they pull back. They stop communicating. Or their employees, they tell them, don't talk about anything. Don't get on social media. To me, the most overlooked asset that a company has when it comes to building their brand and creating content around the topic that – their company is associated with, or the company themselves is their employees. Empower your employees, and you will power your brand. But more importantly, and again, remember, this is my opinion. Other people think differently. But the other thing that I'm going to say right now that I know some people will differ with is get out there. Start right away. Don't wait until everything's perfect. So just to give an example, I'm meeting tomorrow as a favor to a friend with a friend of his, and he's, Mm -hmm. he's starting a new career. And he was very successful in his other career, but he had some health issues, and it was time for a change. 
and he's getting ready to start something new, and it's based upon his past career, so it's not brand new. And literally, I got a note from him yesterday, and I'm going to meet with him tomorrow for coffee, just like I said, as a favor to a friend. And he wrote me about how he's been working for six months, and he's putting together all these assets and all this content. He's got everything ready. He hasn't even thought about, like, he hasn't even gotten into social media. He stopped doing all, oh, I didn't have time to do it myself. I'm like, how could you let that go? Like, to, to sit and wait for that, to fall off that cliff with that whole idea, instead of jumping in with what you have, instead of starting to build relationships, instead of pre- even prepping people. You don't want to talk specifically? Hi, it's, it's Max. I'm getting ready to start something new. It's going to be in the marketing space. It's going to have to do with my medical background. You know, yada, yada. And, and Start getting people excited about something. Continue the communication. But when you cut it off and just wait for that launch period, again, you might not want to mention what it is for for reasons of competition, for reasons that you don't have the idea fully formed. But you can certainly talk about the fact that you're going to be starting something in a certain industry and it's going to be related to 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 your background and to your experience. Don't wait for that perfect moment. I mean, he thinks tomorrow he's going to meet me. And he's going to come up with that perfect idea of how to launch this idea of a startup. And what I'm going to tell him is how foolish he's been to wait and that he should already be out there garnering support, getting, gathering and ordering audience, building relationships, building a community around what he's going to talk about. And especially if you're doing something like it, it happens, this guy is going to be doing something that's related to heart disease and, and health. Um, and mm-hmm. Therefore, there's already a huge built-in audience for this. So why not, even if you're not ready to give up the whole idea or you don't have it fully formed, and then to tell me how he's created hours of video and, and like it, this stuff should be created as you go. It should be, you know, to say that he's got 15 hours of content already prepared, but he's not going to launch until he has 20-something. To me, all he's doing is putting off the day of when he's getting started and putting off the time for when he'll start generating either interest and or revenue. Love it. Love it. I think that's, that's a great topic that I can perfectly agree on because a lot of people ask, okay, you did your startup three years ago and you're, you're doing uh, your, your podcast three years ago and you're doing a startup now. Is your podcast in any um, in is the podcast any barrier in regards to time for the startup? And I always believe that because I've put so many people on the journey of listening to what I've been doing and based on, on the interviews that I've, I've done through, I think it's it's a great situation now to really go into uh, the community aspect and really talk to talk to the listeners and understand how they think about my startup, about my ideas on on the community side of it. And I think it's just a great enhancement that actually can help boost the startup. I've known lots and lots of people who have understand what I'm doing just because I do the podcast and they also know the startup now. And I think just it's a great connection that I can also personally recommend to everybody starting out to actually produce content on the personal side. But it could potentially benefit in the long term, in the long term, it could also benefit your own startup, which is a big, big boost that you, you just emphasized, I guess. Well, you, you have gone out there, you've built an audience who has a relationship with you, who now is a resource for you to help you work on anything you're going to work on. Right. right and absolutely. I, I'm not 100% sure because I, I haven't dug into you, what you've built, but I'm guessing because you sound like that kind of a guy that you've probably also built somewhat of a community, meaning other audience members know there are other audience members, and now there's the ability to have conversations. And then taking it to the step I was talking about about employees, 
just about every – I mean, sure, there are startups where it's just you or it's just you and a partner. But gradually, as you bring on people, allow them to be a part of it. Allow them to share it to their friends, to their network, to their relationships. Because, again, they, these might not be direct customers, but it, you, you're going to get feedback. You're going to get input. You're going to get um, a, a, a lot larger brand awareness. Amazing. I think that's such a great point that you just emphasized. And I think it could help a lot of people because a lot of people are thinking about startups. And I think there are a couple of points that I want to go in depth a little bit before we go on to the personal side of, of what you do also as well. Um, one thing that you just mentioned earlier was word of mouth, which some like I think a lot of startups that I've talked to, especially in the very early stage, they think word of mouth happens only through the product itself. So if the product is shit, nobody's going to come through to actually support it through word of mouth. Of course, that's one big part, but I would also love to hear your thoughts on word of mouth. If how much is based on brand, especially in the early days, that people actually recommend another startup or another brand, and how much is the product itself? What's your experience on actually working at lots and lots of companies? Well, if the product sucks, there's no word of mouth or marketing or dollar budget that's going to make it work. Because in the end, people are going to get the product and it's not going to be good. So you do have to, I mean, you have to focus on your product first. Now, granted, products evolve. Products get better as you go along. Products get better as you get feedback, which comes with getting it out there. But if, if in the very beginning the product doesn't have value, you know, of course you're not going to be able to build that. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Now, if you're a person that has a good personal brand that people trust and people know that you put your heart and soul behind what you do, then they're going to be more likely to give your product a shot. And then if things don't work out perfectly, like, look, every startup has challenges. You know, I, I'm, I'm a, a partner in a, in a startup right now called Photify, and I won't get into specifics, but we recently launched with a, a new big brand, and mistakes happen. But number one is we've made sure to build a relationship that started with my relationship with the company. More importantly, our people who are working with them day to day on the sales side. Remember, a lot of people think sales, make your sale, move along. This team has done such a great job of building a strong relationship with this brand that when the, pr- when the problems happen, and problems always happen. When I say a problem, you know, something happens on the back end, the product freezes, there's something wrong with the code. You know, a million different things happen, especially in this day and age. There's so many moving parts. Um, that relationship comes through, and it, it carries you through to be able to fix that, make it better, adjust, and move along. And then the other side is it happened that we found a partner, the company that I'm talking about, is a company that really understands partnership. And they understand that it's not all about the company that's selling the product, just doing whatever needs to be done, but that they have to work along with you. So it's twofold. It's, it's building a reputation that you, that you want to learn, that you want to make your product better. And it's also being smart, which you can't always be, because sometimes you have to take the business you get. But trying to find partners, and when I, I'm using that word very broadly, partners, customers, customers become your partners. Find customers that want to become partners, that want to work with you. You know, uh, my friend Brian Solis tells a great story. Brian is a thought leader. He's a researcher. He's written a lot of books. He works with a lot of big companies. And he tells a story about a few years ago when a company brought him in and they said, Brian, we want a brilliant new idea. We want something that nobody else has done before. And Brian says, okay, great. You know, and, and he talked to them for a while. And he got ideas of what they were looking for. 
And he went back and he comes back to them with this great idea. And the first words out of their mouth is, well, who else is doing it? And what can you show us about results? And he's like, what do you mean who else is doing it? You wanted something new. If you want something new, I can't show you who else has done it. And I can't show you results. You're going to have to find out for yourself. So companies that, you know, back to what you were talking about, when you have that brand, when you're somebody people trust, when you've done in the past, meaning that you've been good to your word, that you say what you mean and mean what you say, then they're willing to work with you to come up with a new idea and help you work through the kinks that then make the product successful. Love it. Really, lots of insights there again. I think especially for, for, for startups really thinking about product first, of course, but how is the marketing side actually going to affect the product side as well? I think in the long term, it needs to come hand in hand. And maybe to jump into the Q&A, which also is part of what I've been very interested about also on, on your story side is the, I think a lot of people, they struggle with building relationships. Um, and what would you recommend to them? Like, do you have like certain habits, for example, that every single day you connect to a couple of people on the internet or is there anything habit wise that you would recommend or what would you recommend to the people who are, who have problems actually building uh, relationships from the start? What would you recommend there? Well, one of the nice things about social media is that if you're uncomfortable face-to-face, you now have the ability to do it from a distance. Um, So there's a few things I would do. First of all, um, make it a practice of every day, you know, connecting with people, um, always writing personal notes when you connect with someone on LinkedIn or you connect with someone on Facebook or uh, not Twitter because that's a, a different kind of medium, although you can do it there as well, especially if it's somebody who might not necessarily follow you back. Instead of just following them, you might want to share some of their tweets. Like I, every day, I serendipitously share the content of somebody that I don't know that well. That, you know, I mean, I have a lot of followers. I don't know them all, obviously. So every day I, I, I share and, and, and comment on content of people I know. And then I always try to find a few new people whose tweets I share, whose LinkedIn posts I'll comment on. Or even if I don't have a lot of time, I'll simply go in and like them. Because a lot of these people are looking to see who likes them. And when they say, oh, my God, like, you know, Max liked my post. You know, he really is involved in voice technology. You know, he's a really smart guy. That, that, I'm really excited about that. And that also gives me a chance to communicate with him. Also, every day I go to uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, I, I, I post every day. I post multiple times a day. I, I'm very active. So you might not be like me. But what I do is I always make a comment about someone who I always make a comment about someone who liked my post because people don't expect that. So someone goes to your Facebook post or your LinkedIn post and they just click like that they think they're done. But how about when if you jump into your LinkedIn feed or your Facebook feed on that post and say, Hey Max, nice to see you liking my post. Thank you so much. Or mm-hmm. Hey Max, nice to not, Hey Max, nice to see you here. People react to that. Now, understand, Max might ignore that. Max might be one of those guys that likes posts and never even looks at LinkedIn to see if anybody commented back. But it's not about the quantity. It's about the few who do. Just like I write a personal note with every single LinkedIn outreach, and I write a personal note back to every single person that reaches out to me on LinkedIn and Facebook to connect. And by the way, yes, you're right. Someone will go, oh, you know, nobody reads those for the most part. They don't, but I got to tell you that there's not a week that goes by that I don't get somebody of significance who writes to me and says, you know, Ted, you're the first person that ever did that to me. I really respect that. Now I just took, I went from a handshake to a conversation. 
And I started to develop relationships. And if you make it a habit to do these little things every day, to share other people's content, to, to share people's blog posts. Every day I share some other people's blog posts. I have a newsletter. I have two newsletters. Sunday night it goes out with my content. Wednesday night it goes out always. It's called the Return on Relationship Newsletter. And it goes out with somebody else's post that I just decide to share. Sometimes it's people I know. Sometimes it's people whose post I just happen to notice somewhere and I took a liking to it. Sometimes it's a client. You know, it can be all the, but it's, it's, it's always somebody else's content. Maybe once a year on a special day, my birthday or on Father's Day or sometimes I might send out my post in there. But every other week of the year, it's somebody else's content. So come up with ways to do this. Be, we, look, make friends. Like people before they like you. Don't wait for them to like you to like them. Go out and do things. This will go to what I was talking about earlier, where a brand is what a business or a person does. A reputation is what people remember. Uh, you know, oh, my God, that guy, Ted, yeah, did, did he ever like your stuff? Oh, wow, he sent something out. So that, that's, that's one of the things you can do. Um, uh, uh, another thing you can do is, is this is a big one, and I, I talk about this every stage I'm on, is I hold up my iPhone, and I say to people, what is this? And the crowd usually just looks at me. I go, what is this? And they all go, you know, it's a phone. I go, it's an iPhone. I said, what kind of phone? They go, it's an iPhone. I say, what's the biggest word in iPhone? And never fail the whole audience. I'm so, I, 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 I say, I'm sorry. I, I say, what's the most important word in iPhone? They all say phone. I say, no, it's I. <laughs> it's about you. Okay? I said, and, and, and I'm sorry. I say, what's the most important word in iPhone? They say, I. I say, no, it's phone. Because this is a phone. And it does a remarkable thing. All you guys have phones. And you all have apps on your phones, right? And they go, sure. Or, you, know, you probably got you know, tons of apps on your phone. Well, this phone comes with an app that most of you guys don't even know exists. It's got 10 numbers. And if you press 7 to 10 of them, you, you, you call someone and you actually hear their voice. And you can laugh, you can yell, you can whisper. You don't have to use emoticons to express emotion. And I challenge the audience to pick up their phone once every day and call somebody they haven't spoken to in a while. Just make a phone call. And, and say, hey, it's Ted. How are you, Max? Just call to see if there's anything I can do to support you. Or whatever it is else you want to say. Call your mother, for God's sake, and give her a break. Because you probably never call her. But pick up the phone every day and call a different person and see the way it changes things in your life. See the way it changes the way people talk about you, the way people refer about you, the way people, their expectations. When you call someone and they're just happy to hear from you and they're surprised because nobody picks up the phone anymore. So there's a real tip for, for um, how to make a difference and to be different than other people. Pick up the phone and call somebody. My business partner does it every single day. He doesn't call one person. He probably calls 10 to 15 people a day. When he's driving to work, he's always on the phone calling up people that he hasn't spoken to and just saying, how are you doing today? You know, what's going on? And you also, you have to also have a feel for when people don't have time. You don't want to keep someone on the reason most people don't answer the phone is they're afraid they can never get off. So make it easy for them. <laughs> just call them to say hello. Just call them to see if there's anything I can do. I can tell that you're busy. And if they don't want to talk, just move along or even leave a voicemail. So, right. you know, these are the kind of things you can do that help you build relationships. And by the way, you made a good point earlier. It takes time. 
I say this all the time. I send out a tweet that's in capital letters. It takes time. Everybody expects it to happen overnight. How many people do you know decided they wanted to use a hashtag? They wanted people to start recognizing on hashtag. And a month later, they're, they're not using a hashtag anymore, and they're using a different hashtag. And then a month later, they're using a different one. They're like, well, it didn't, it didn't catch on. Not going to catch right. on. I've been using R on R, return on relationship, since 2009. Uh-huh. I've been using no let up since 2012. This dad won't quit for, for six, seven, eight years. I mean, it takes time for, for, for a, a hashtag you're using or a term or a one liner to become associated with you. Absolutely. I mean, and for I God's sake, people... I use I use it. I use a quote that isn't even mine. I tell people all the time it's not mine. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And I talk about how I try to live my life by that quote, and people still attribute it to me. Absolutely. And that's the cool thing, right? I mean, I'm very thankful for, for your words here because I think there were quite some inputs that people can actually take action with. And I think I liked one quote that you mentioned was, like others, before you, you, you get liked. And I think that's something that yeah. a lot of people need to be patient about uh, because it just takes time to be loved by people. But have that in mind first because before you actually think about yourself. And I think I want to want to go a little forward, which is another question in the Q&A, which is what's one book that you would recommend besides your own book, of course? Is there one book that you always give to other people, for for instance, that you like a lot? Uh, it, there, there is, and it's what I call the best social media book ever written. And it wasn't written by any of the social media pundits that you would guess if I asked you to guess. The tip I will give, the clue I will give to your audience before I tell you what it is, is that it was written in 1936. And I believe it's more relevant today than it was when it was written. And it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm -hmm. And what this book is all about, the book is all about How do you make it about them? Dale Carnegie talks about, like you noticed I use your name a lot in this conversation. Dale Carnegie, if you follow me on Twitter or on social media or you text with me or you've already emailed with me, I respond and I always put someone's name in there. There's no word in any language that's more beautiful to any single person than the sound of their own name. And when you use their name, not only does it make them feel special, but it makes them feel like you're paying attention, that you know who they are, that you care about them. So that's just one of the things. He, he, now, now, the book is kind of fun to read because it's very kitschy. It's like written, again, in 1936, there were 100 people in your town. You know, there were only 100 people you could meet. Now, you, you, maybe you'd meet 100 people in your lifetime, and now you can meet 100 people in 10 seconds or in a second. But the book talks about how to make people feel special, how to make it about them and not about you, how to use their name that's important. There's all these things in it that are just – I keep copies of that book on my iPhone, on my iPad, on my my coffee table. I even have an original copy that a friend named Jeremy Waite, um, who I I knew back um, uh, when he worked at Adobe and IBM – um, Jeremy is from the UK. He's written a, a bunch of great marketing books. He's a brilliant guy. He knew my love for this book, and he found me an original copy. And I go back to it all the time because you forget you forget things that you read. You forget tips. You take one or two out of it. You move on. I go back to remind myself 
about how to actually touch people. And like I said earlier in the call, do for others without expectation and anything directly back in return. That's what my dad taught me. And when I was a young kid and I'm like, why would I want to do that? He goes, well, other than because it's, it's good to be good to people. And that's another hashtag I use, which I adopted from somebody else. Be good to people, mm-hmm. a woman named Chris Wittenberg. And I wear her t-shirts and her armbands and all these things. But my dad said, it, let's talk about this selfishly. When you do for others without expectation of, of getting anything directly in return, you get more in return than you would otherwise. Absolutely. So if, even if you're only going to do it for selfish reasons, do it for selfish reasons. Do good because it will help you. Max? Max? You're still there, Ted? Uh, I'm here. Did you did you get that? Yeah, I did actually. I think the last sentence after that, you were just gone. Um, I think I'm not sure why, but I think you're just back. So I can just cut it. No worries. Did you get my last sentence about doing it for others? Yes, I did. With the hashtag you you mentioned. No, but I I just the, let me just throw in this last sentence in case you missed it. You know, something my dad taught me was he said, you know, of course as a kid I'm like, well, why would I want to do that? And he said, well. First of all, why not be good to people? And that's a hashtag that I, I adopted from Chris Wittenberg and her company, Be Good to People, uh, whose T-shirts I wear and everything. But my dad said, more importantly, because I'm going to tell you, because you're like every other kid, you're selfish and you want to know what's in it for you. What's in it for you is that when you do for others without expectation of anything directly in return, you get more in return than you would have otherwise. So mm-hmm. doing good for people is good for you. Amazing. I think that's such a perfect final wording um and ted i'm I'm super happy that we we had the time to chat because i think there was so many insights about actually how to build social strategies based on on relationships and just your view on on being at the forefront of of being someone that is just loving to other people and that's somehow your basis and your value of building relationships and i, I just appreciated your time Thanks a lot for, for everything you said, for the input, for the clear action that people can take in order to build relationships online and offline. And I'm happy to chat further. Thanks. <laughs> well, Max, thank you. I want to leave your audience with one last thing. Always remember that relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. And I'll look forward to our next conversation. Love it. And uh, we put everything in the show notes. Also, the book, of course, that you recommended, everything that's related to Ted will be in the show notes. So definitely connect with him, say hi, and um, we will stay in touch. Thank you. Wonderful. Let me run. I'll, I'm going to connect you to my business partner also. So Fantastic. Watch out that's all that's planned. <laughs> okay. Nice talking.